Welcome, everybody. Good evening. It's good to see you all here, and I hope you're all in the middle of a great week. We're going to go in our Bibles to Luke chapter 4 today. Luke 4. And we're going to see a statement from Jesus that's going to remind us of His purpose. In our world, we would call it a purpose statement or mission statement. What's, what's Jesus really all about? When, when Jesus talks about why He's come, and what His priorities are, and what His ministry is going to look like, what does Jesus say? And it's important to revisit that every so often because there are so many other things that, that can become a substitute for the authentic biblical ministry of Jesus Christ. And um, we want to make sure that when we think about Jesus, we think about Him rightly. What is His primary purpose? What, why did He come? What does He want to produce, to accomplish? How does He see Himself? So that's why we go to Luke chapter 4. We're, we're, we're going to begin in verse 16. He's done some miracles. He went to, uh, to the wedding and he turned the water to wine. He's done some things to show the power of God. He's gone out to the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And here we find him in verse 16, Luke 4. So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. He comes back. This is not where he was born. This is where they came back to after they returned from Egypt uh, when he was a young boy. He comes back to his people. Now we know Joseph is probably off the scene by now. He's mentioned here. They know his father, but uh, he doesn't appear here. He's not acting in the, in the story at all. So sometime he has passed away. But this is, where, this is where Mary lives. This is where the siblings live. This is family. And as his custom was, as Jesus would do every Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. Now, here's how their service was, would work. If they had a building available, and sometimes they had their own unique spot, like we do here. We've got our church. We own it. We built it. This is ours, and we gather here to worship. Sometimes they would have that, and uh, that's where they would meet. And if they didn't, they might meet in a private home, or they might uh, be out in the open. Uh, he had a synagogue to meet in. Here, we're in Luke 4, verse 16, he goes to the synagogue to read. Now, they didn't have a pastor. When, when you were on your way over here, among the many things going through your head, I bet you didn't think, I wonder who's going to preach. Because that, that, that role is established. And, and In fact, you'd be very surprised to see me just sit here looking around wondering who was going to come and preach because that's that's my job. That's my role. That's how we do it. They didn't have that. Any Jewish, any man of age who was a Jew could stand up and speak. And often they rotated out. Jesus liked to do this. As his custom was, he went and he stood up to read. Now what they would do, and we're, we're going to see it here, they would stand to read and then they would sit down to preach. I don't think I could pull it off. I think I... Fidget and move a little too much to do that. Uh, but that's how they did it. So he stands to read, and he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. Now, we're not sure 
If he happened to be handed the book, if he requested the book, if he got there early and said, "Um, I'd like to read today, can you give me Isaiah? We don't know how he got it, but it's handed to him. God wants him to have it, um, but we're not sure how it, it was arranged. When he, when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. And then he's going to quote here. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And he reads this, and this is, is a reference to Messiah. This is predictive prophecy. The Messiah is going to come, and uh, he, he's speaking here of me, Isaiah, not of himself, but he's, he's speaking for the Messiah. And he'll do that, I and, and me. Happens in Psalms also, where, where the prophets predict, but they predict in first person the experience of what the Messiah would be like. So he's reading here, a prophecy about himself, a prophecy about who the Messiah would be. And everybody understood that this is a messianic text. It was written long ago, it was written long before he read it, but everybody knew this is going to be fulfilled one day when the Messiah comes. The Spirit of the Lord will be upon him and will anoint the Messiah to preach and to do the things that we're going to see that he read here. So he reads the messianic prophecy. Then he closed the book, gave it to the attendant, and sat down. Now that was the introduction to the sermon. He sits down, and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. Now based on what he says in a moment, people have heard that he's been out elsewhere doing miracles. That has come back to their ears. He'll say in a moment, uh, you're going to say to me, why don't you do some of the signs here that you've done elsewhere? So he's notorious. It's his hometown. There's, there are men sitting there who knew his father. There are people there who remember him when he was knee high. They've known him all his life. That's his hometown. He came there as a young boy. And he leaves and they start hearing rumors about him and then he comes back to preach. All eyes are on Jesus. And here's where the sermon begins. He began to say to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. That's the the sermon is, I'm it. I'm him. The Messiah has come and he is me. Now, in a moment we're going to see how they responded, but I want to unpack some of what we read so far. Why why would Jesus go to Nazareth? Why would he go back home? Maybe because that's where his family is, and he he deeply wants them to understand his his true identity. He's got siblings who know there's something different about Jesus. I mean, they're, they're bound to have figured it out by now. We always get in trouble, but not him. He's perfect. He never does anything wrong. Something's going on. Maybe he has Mary in mind. It's been 30 years, but there's still something not quite right about 
how that child was conceived. By the time she married Joseph, from the time she married him to when that baby arrived, wasn't nine months. And they know that. Those things don't get forgotten. So maybe he wants them to know for her sake who he truly is. Maybe that's part of it. I'm speculating here. Maybe it's to preach the gospel to those he knew and loved best. Either way, here in Luke 4, he's preaching and he says, I am the Messiah Isaiah predicted would come. And he says that to the people closest to him. Um, The way they're going to pay him back is going to be quite a, a surprise if you don't know the story, but he goes back home. These are his people. And what the message is, is this. The abiding of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Now, we have to remember that that we experience God from this side of Acts chapter 2. In Acts 2, the apostles are gathered together, waiting for the promise of the Holy Spirit to fall upon them. And in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit falls upon them, flaming tongues of fire. And they they speak with languages that they've never learned, validating the proof of, of the gospel. And then the the, the Holy Spirit falls again in Acts 8. Falls again in Acts chapter 12. Falls again in Acts 19. Working His way from the apostles out to Gentiles. And ever since the book of Acts, every believer is filled with God's Holy Spirit. We quench Him. We ignore Him. We suppress Him. But we're comforted by His presence. Jesus is talking before any of that has happened. The Holy Spirit's not on everybody. The Holy Spirit would move people to do certain things. Samson was moved by the Holy Spirit to kill Philistines. Artists were moved by the Holy Spirit to make the bowls and the cups and the artifacts used in in the tabernacle. But the average person who just loved God and wanted to obey Him, wasn't filled with the Spirit. So when he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, he's talking about something distinct and unique from everybody else on earth. The Messiah was the only one filled with the Spirit at the time He was here on earth. And we'll just pause here to reflect what a remarkable gift that He's given us to be filled with the Spirit in His absence. Well, what was the the purpose of the filling of the Spirit? Why did Jesus say, the Spirit is upon me? He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. And there's a bit of a pun here. The the word for anointing is the word for for Messiah. If you you get a new boat, like a, a battleship, before they sail away in it, what do they do? They have a ceremony. What do they call it? And what's the first part of that word? It's Christ. Because they both come from the word for anointing. So the Spirit has anointed me, points straight to to, I am the Messiah. Being anointed is to be the Messiah. Why? To preach the gospel to the poor. Now there's meaning in this. There's the poor in spirit that we find in Matthew 5. The poor are the powerless and the afflicted, sure. But it's also this powerful statement that when Messiah comes, He's not here simply for the kings, for the powerful. 
He's here for everyone. For the people who wouldn't normally get an audience with a great teacher, He has come, He is God and man, and He is there to preach to them. I love the fact Jesus usually preached in public, not in the synagogue, and not in the temple. He did that some. But usually He would go park Himself on a hillside. And one of the reasons He did that, I am persuaded is because everyone could come hear him. If you went to the temple, if you were Gentile, you can be in the outer court. Probably can't hear what's going on in here. If you were a lady, you can come a little farther in and be like right out there, but only the men could hear the men teach. He's come to preach the gospel to the poor, to every single person, regardless of their standing here on earth. So he just goes outside where everybody can come hear it. I love that. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted. See, Jesus didn't come to say, these are God's rules, you've been breaking them, and you better quit or God's going to get you. Yes, there's judgment. There's the need to repent. But He came to heal the brokenhearted. He came to speak to the deepest broken parts of what it means to be human. He came to speak to people that are scared, to people that have lost someone they love, to people that are grieving, to people with anxieties and fears, people very much aware of their imperfections in in the presence of God. And He came to heal broken hearts. To proclaim liberty to the captives, to people bound by addiction, bound by mental illness, bound by Satan, bound by all sorts of unhealthy things in their lives. He came to preach that they could be free of that, bound by sin and recovery of sight to the blind, people who can't see. He's here to preach light to their eyes. We see Him. He'll do that physically, but but He's really here to do it spiritually, to, to show us the Father in a way we couldn't see because we were blinded. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. He's come to preach to the poor and to release the oppressed. What He's talking about here is is a power imbalance where the strong always step on the weak. That's how the world has worked throughout the history of humanity. And Jesus elevates the weak, and He says, you you are all equal. In the eyes of God and in the way that I expect you to treat each other, no one should be oppressed. That's how the world is, but it's not how the world should be. And Jesus is preaching that, that the oppressed are free. He speaks to the deepest needs of what it means to be Human, And then he says, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, when we use that word, you guys, imagine your lady has slaved over the stove for hours to make a beautiful meal. So good. Best effort. She brings it out, and you take a bite, and she's waiting to hear, and you say that. That is acceptable. Can you imagine the response? 
You ladies, is that what you want to hear? This is acceptable. Acceptable is a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Like, it'll get you through. We use it to marginalize and say just barely good enough. That's not how it's used here. What it means here is the year the Lord is, is accepting the openness of God that the time has come for God to receive His people by faith. That's what He means here. It's not, man, just good enough. It's the time has come. The acceptable year has come. God has, has opened the history of salvation to all who will call on Him by faith. So Jesus declares Himself to be the fulfillment of this prophecy by Isaiah. This is good news. In fact, gospel means good news, and he's come to preach the gospel to the poor. So here are all these people who have known him all their life, and they're so excited that Jesus, the little boy from next door, Joseph's son, is the Messiah. And they take it very well. Pick up with me in verse 22. So all bore witness to him and marveled. That doesn't mean quite what we might initially think. They marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth and said, is this not Joseph's son? But I know this kid. He grew up down the street. I know his brothers. I know his sisters. I know his mother. I knew his dad. This, they, he's not the Messiah. There's just no way. He said to them, you will surely say this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Okay? If, if you're so great, prove it. Whatever we have heard you did in Capernaum, do also here in your country. You, they've been hearing that he could do things. Well, okay, do things. You say you're, you're the Savior, show us. He said, assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. It doesn't work that way. And then he pulls out these two amazing examples. And they're just filled with meaning, and his audience caught the meaning. We're going to catch it too. I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heaven was shut up three years, six months, and there was a famine throughout all the land. There was terrible suffering, famine, many widows, but... To none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed except for Naaman the Syrian. He says, I'm not going to do a sign here. And I'll tell you why. Because God is selective in how He shows His grace and power. And here's two examples. Uh, the first one is from 1 Kings 17. Elijah had holed up by the brook, Kidron. The Lord had shut the heavens off, no rain to punish Ahab for his sin of worshiping idols. The brook finally dried up. Elijah had been fed by the birds. Elijah, what will he do now? The brook dried up. The Lord sends him beyond the 
boundaries of Israel to Zarephath and Sidon, which is to the north. And there he meets up with the widow and he says, can you give me some water? And she says, sure. And he says, can you give me some bread? She goes, no. I, I've got a little flour, I've got a little oil. My son we're, and I, we're going to cook the last of it and we're going to lay down and die. We have nothing. He says, tell you what, you make some for all of us. I'll stay with you and the Lord won't let your flour and your oil run out until the famine ends. And that's exactly what happened. And she and her son were saved alive through the famine. He says, lots of widows. A lot of them died, but, but God only sent Elijah to this one. Why? I don't know, but God does. Now, he tells this other story also, 2 Kings 5. At the time of Elisha, after Elijah has gone up into heaven, a mighty man of war, an Amorite, Aramite, excuse me, and he gets leprosy. And his, his skin is going to rot and he is going to die. And he's going to be separated from everybody before he does. So he heard, there's a prophet in Israel who can heal you. So he goes to, to the king and says, uh, I want to go to Israel and get healed. And the king says, great, I need you. So he sends him with gifts to the king of Israel with a letter that says, hey, uh, I need you to heal my general. The king of Israel says, who do they think I am? He's trying to pick a fight with me. He's asking me to do something impossible just to have, have a pretext to go to war against me. Elisha hears about it and he says, you send him over here. He comes and Elisha says, you go to the Jordan and wash seven times. You'll be healed. This is a, a powerful man. And he looks at the Jordan it's a muddy creek. It's not beautiful. It's not stately. And he says, we got rivers, man. You could bathe in. Make this look like a mud puddle. I'm not doing it. And he's about to leave, and his servants say, look, if he had asked you to do great feats of, of heroism, you'd do them. This is nothing. Just wash and just see what happens. So he washes, and he's healed. And those are the two examples Jesus uses here, and they matter. They both have the prophet of Israel outside the borders of Israel. Elijah's in Sidon. Elisha was in Samaria. They're, they're both removed from Israel, and they're both helping Gentiles through the power of God. The, the Israelites are not a factor here. They're somewhere else helping somebody else. And Jesus, he's, he's predicting the day when the gospel goes to all nations. And he says, I'm not doing signs and wonders for you people. And I'll tell you why. It's because those are for the nations. And in each of these, they were hesitant to receive the grace of God. And then in the end, they did. I don't want to wash in that puddle. I don't want to give you my bread because this is all we've got. And then they respond with faith and God saves them. 
Well, his audience caught this. They knew exactly what he meant. So in verse 28, so all of those in the synagogue, when they had heard these things, were filled with wrath, filled with anger. They're mad at Jesus for saying these things. And rose up and thrust him out of the city. And they led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built. Now, I've seen this hill. It's got houses built on it. Houses that you think should just fall right off of it. It is a steep incline. And it goes way down. And they bring him to the edge where they're, they're going to throw him off. This is Jesus who lived down the street when he was 10. These are people who, who used to go to his daddy's carpenter shop and see him in there working. These are people who are going to go to the market tomorrow and see his mother there. This is his hometown, and they're ready to throw him off a mountain and kill him. They are deeply grieved by what he says. And that should speak to us about how powerfully he said it and about the real meaning in that. We hear it and go, oh, the, the Spirit of the Lord has anointed me, uh, and he uh, has anointed me to preach the, the gospel to the poor. That's cool. No, this is revolutionary. This is unlike anything they had ever heard. And they're actually ready to kill Jesus for it. Then, passing through the midst of them, he went his way. He wasn't going to do a miracle, but he did. He wasn't going to do a sign, because it wasn't for them. But they got their sign. They're about to give him the old heave-ho, and he's not there. And he just passes right through. And, and we're not sure what it means. Did all of a sudden he just have this authority and the people who were about to kill him just step out of the way and he just walks through like Moses through the Red Sea I don't know or did they say where'd Jesus go and he's on the other side over here and he says I'll see you guys I'm going to preach to people who want to hear it we're not sure what happened by the supernatural power of God he just passes through the midst of them somehow and he went his way so Brings us back to where we began. Why did Jesus come? How does he see himself? And therefore, how should we see him? When we think about the Jesus we proclaim to our neighbors and to the nations, when we think about ourselves as followers of Christ, and not simply churchgoers, but, but as, as people who have committed ourselves to this man, people who are going to swing out into eternity on nothing but the hope this man offers. What does it mean to follow Jesus like that? I bring us back to the anointing of the Spirit. If we're going to be people who follow Jesus the way He thinks of Himself, we're going to be people filled with the Spirit, anointed by the Spirit to preach the gospel to the poor. That is, His number one priority isn't to remake the world in His image, it is to bring salvation to those who live in it. Because all this world will pass away. It'll all go away one day, and only the kingdom of God will abide, and only those who are in it will live eternally. I think we should think a lot about healing the brokenhearted. I think people are hurting all around us. I think the damage that was done through COVID is going to be I don't think we're ever going to know the impact that it had on kids who are out of school, 
on people who were lonely, on the family members of people who, who died in a nursing home and no one could even visit them and the guilt they feel. And all of that's just on top of the heartache that goes with being alive. I, th- I think we have a broken-hearted world. And if we're going to be followers of Jesus, we need to be, be healing the broken-hearted through the power of Christ. We should be more about healing the broken-hearted than winning the arguments or having it our way. I think we look around and we see captives. We see addiction and we see bondage. We see suffering and pain and anguish of of mind and soul. And speaking for me here, I'm far too quick to judge rather than to offer grace. And if I'm going to be a follower of Jesus, I've got to do what Jesus does, and that is proclaim freedom to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. If someone were in this building and they were walking around and, and they just couldn't see, would you hold it against them that their movements were hesitating and halting and awkward? Would you think it odd if, if they bumped into things or, or had to feel their way through this unfamiliar environment? Of course not. That'd be cruel. You'd, you would realize they're behaving the way they're behaving because they're disoriented because they can't see. And then we look at the world around us and say, why do they live like that? Well, they can't see. They can't see God. They can't see Christ. They can't see grace. They can't see love. They can't see light until we shine it. So we see how they behave, and it's frustrating to us, but until they have the mercy, the grace that only God can give, how else can they live? To set at liberty those who are oppressed. That is, in my mind, to use whatever power we have to protect the weak from the strong who would violate them. No one should be oppressed, and we stand by and watch. And to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. God God has opened the gates of heaven, and all can come in through, through repentance and faith. There's nothing to earn There's nothing to achieve. There's just, for all who will will receive it, there's just grace. That's the gospel, and the world needs it. So if we're going to follow Jesus in the world we live in, this is Jesus introducing himself afresh and anew to people who thought they knew him, and he says, you didn't know me, this is who I am. This is the Jesus we're called to follow. So my prayer for each of us is that we, we find the wisdom to follow this Jesus. This is what matters to him. This is how he sees himself, and this should be how we see ourselves in him also. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the sermon Jesus preached from Isaiah. We thank you for the examples he used of non-Jewish people receiving your grace, because the gospel was always going to be for all nations. Thank you, Lord. We, we especially thank you. Because though Jesus is the Messiah of the Jews, predicted by the Jewish prophets, he's the Savior of the world. And he came for me as much as he did for the Jews. Thank you, Lord. 
Help us follow Him rightly. The power of the Spirit, the preaching of the gospel, the healing of the brokenhearted, sight to the blind, the acceptable year of the Lord. Lord, may these be our themes. May they radiate clearly from us in Jesus' name. Amen. We go now to the uh, prayer list, and I'd like to give an update on Larray Arnett, my mother-in-law. She went back for some scans, and um, the cancer is widely metastatic. It has moved to her windpipe as well, and so uh, they believe they're going to have to resume chemo, which uh, was very difficult for her, and this is a real setback. So we ask that you you pray for her. Um, Also, I, I found out... Um, earlier in the week that Isaac up in Alaska, I found it all out afterward, um, was sailing around in his boat and uh, ran right smack into Russian and Chinese warships in U.S. waters. Um, and so we were, we were praying for him, but uh, he, he, he got back to, to land and sent a message that uh, they just kind of followed him around a while. And it's all okay. He's fine. Uh, but just praise to the Lord for watching over him because uh, he was within ice, just tired of uh, hostiles who shouldn't have been there. But it all ended with no, no violence, so I'm thankful, um, as we should always be, but when it's, when it's your kid, it, it really hits home, so, um, and then I would ask also if you would, would, would pray for Dorian, I haven't heard from him, but any of you who have been to Taboot camp can well imagine uh, how his, his weeks are uh, shaping up, so pray for him to be equal to the task. Who else do we need to remember as we pray? Okay. Okay. Good. Good. Well, we'll remember her as we pray. Ma'am. Certainly. Yes, sir.
Badly injured. Gavin Deal, you said? Who else? Mm -hmm. Oh, good. Good. That's exactly what, what we prayed for. That's good. That's what he ought to be. That's good news. Who else? All right. Will you join me then as, as we pray? Our Father, we thank you for the chance to gather, and we thank you for good news. We want to thank you for this baby, his, uh, his good progress, his joy at being alive, and, and uh, the wonder that he gets to experience. And I just, I, I thank you. I know we prayed, and, and I'm sure so many others, for James and uh, it looks like you're just bringing healing all over his life, and we pray that you bring it fully, that he would, would live a long and, and happy life in which he, he honors you uh, and honors those people around him and, and that he knows your joy. We thank you for that healing. We, we want to thank you for Debbie Newton and uh, for this new medicine that seems to be helping. Lord, only you know how much she... She truly needs your touch, and so thank you for sending this new opportunity, and, and I pray that it would give her the healing that she needs. And then I want to thank you for watching over Isaac and all those on his crew. Um, and Father, as, as, as we're praying for the world around us, we do pray for peace. We pray for a reduction and an, and an end in violence and hostilities. We, we pray for the day the Prince of Peace splits the the, the sky from north to south and, and puts an end to all of that. But Lord, until that day, we pray for as much peace as we can have here on earth. We pray for Larray Arnett, uh, the treatments that lie ahead and for the, the cancer that's been so difficult for her. We pray for... Gavin Deal, as he's been badly injured, that you'd bring healing. We pray for Judy Carswell, as she's very sick, uh, that she would know your grace, that she would know your healing of body, but Lord, especially of soul, and that um, you'd be with her and all those who love her in all of this. We we. we we pray for Ruth, that uh, you get her the care that she needs, uh, that you would bring your peace to her life. And Father, we lift up Linda as she'll have an operation on her eyes, that that be uneventful, that be peaceful, that be effective, and that uh, you just uh, you, you be with her through that, and that you, you, you uphold her sweet spirit through all of that. Father, we pray as we go from here, you help us to encourage each other, 
to walk in holiness, to be anointed by your spirit, to preach good news to the poor. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.